Hello, everyone, and welcome to this Star Trek edition of the Secret Origins of Mint Condition. I am your host, James. I am. We are on in the space dock right now, having been transferred over from the Enterprise D. And joining me is Joe. Hey, Trekkies. And John. Hey, everyone. And uh, Jordy and Data were busy, but they finally managed to get Josh's transporter pattern fixed. And Josh. <laughs> to board space doc to join us for this wrap-up of Picard. So Josh is joining us as well. Engage. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't end up in a bad accident like, uh, you know, motion picture there, not to make a reference to that movie. Yes, <laughs> Josh, Josh beamed in safely, and he's also not a Tuvix either, so he, he's, he's, all, he's all better, he's all well. <laughs> well, I think it goes without saying, as, as we talked offline, that I, we really enjoyed this, this episode. Um, it's hard to know where to begin. So, so Josh, given the fact you were in the transporter from when we talked about episode nine, why don't you kick us off? Anywhere you want to go, what are your thoughts, highlights, something you want that's been, you wanted to talk about this whole yeah, you know, the thing I keep coming back to, and I to, and I know you discussed this, um, uh, but it's really seeing that Britain, it's really being on that starship, the, the Enterprise D, and you know, having the TNG crew not just united together on a, mi- a mission, but also sitting at their stations on that bridge, um, I found so kind of emotional, emotionally that I'm still I'm still thinking about it. I kind of have trouble seeing beyond that. It it, it sort of it sort of really really hit me seeing it um on screen and seeing those characters there side by side with the sort of new style new style trek back in the form of, you know the design of Brayton and those uniforms and everything. But yeah, you know, I think I said I think it was asked I said at some point in one of the Star Trek episodes that the Enterprise D feels like home for me. It's actually a place where I I go to in my head sometimes because it feels so familiar and so familiar and so so you know like home. I had heard Lavar Burton discussing shooting the show like a year ago, and he um, he made some allusion to um, how they had just sh- shot a scene on the bridge of the Enterprise D, and I was like, oh, like, oh well, that must be for like a holodeck like something in like you know like in relics or something like where it's like you know they have to get away for like like the other thing i was thinking too with like the fleet museum i was like oh like you know they're gonna have to have to have like a meeting where the computers like they can't hear and hear and so the bridge of the enterprise it's in mothballs or something but seeing it's like no like the fact that they they really they they ship back to life and the whole last episode was the old enterprise it's it it seems funny to call the d the old enterprise but it's um seeing that crew have a full-fledged adventure saving saving the galaxy on of that ship and have it be that ship was yeah i mean again it's 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 something is is taking me some time i'm still processing clearly yeah, Josh, to your, to your point, like I, yeah, I had the same thoughts and feelings about the Enterprise D. I, I, I felt like obviously we were going to see it in the season because I think either you or somebody had mentioned that LeVar Burton had mentioned being on the bridge of the Enterprise D. And I thought it was going to be either a holodeck or, a, you know, or, or maybe they had the, just the saucer section in the Fleet Museum or something. But the fact that we got the whole Enterprise D and it was the main ship through the last two episodes was really was really amazing and something else that um you know that I'll give credit to listening to the um the Inglorious Trexperts wrap up show about um Picard is that uh 
we were on the Enterprise the whole time when you think about it. If you think about the Titan eventually becomes the Enterprise. So the entire ship that we were a part of, the the entire run of the Picard series was the Enterprise eventually. So uh but uh, John, what were what are your where where do you want to go? Any thoughts or things or that are immediately coming to mind that you want to talk about? Well, there's 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 so much it's hard to it's hard to find a point to zero in on. But what I uh I mean my my just takeaway was the sheer uh uh enjoyment and joy I had watching uh, the finale and uh, uh, watching it with a few friends and just knowing that like we we were experiencing something that we never thought we were going to get to experience, uh, which was uh, another, you know, beautiful send off of this entire crew, but in a way that uh, really feels, this is what I kept on feeling throughout the show. I was like, wow, it feels part- stylistically, it feels like I don't know if the word modern applies, but it felt like it was fuller than was allowed or, or really capable on a syndicated network TV show in 87 through 93. That, you know, the, the nature of storytelling on television hadn't gotten to the point that we're actually very familiar with now. And, and you know, a lot of streaming stuff and a lot of other things where we get really deep emotional uh, beats and, and, and arcs as well to where you're really pulled in. And as we were saying right before we started recording this, like uh, I think John, I'd rewatched you know, the part of the episode today. And I mean, I, I was, I was reduced to tears at various points and that's not something you get to experience in, in necessarily a lot of uh, media and, and not even necessarily a lot of Star Trek, despite the amazing enjoyment all over the Star Trek universe. This just blew me away. It, and, and, and I think it was in a part comes from like life experience. You have these, much older actors uh, who had been in this role 20, 30 years ago, 35 years ago to start, and were literally taking 20 years of experience, turning that into this fictional story and manifesting in their characters. And you could tell they were all emotional on screen. So it became one of those, like, you're not crying. I'm, I'm not crying. You're crying moments, you know, but it was all of them too. And I, I think that's my that's my big takeaway was just that it left me with this really wonderful, in addition to the storytelling and everything else, it just left me this really amazing emotional place that really surpasses much else that what I've experienced in Star Trek, even even, you know, thinking back all these years. I have to ask, since all of us were fans of it, watching this finale, it reminds me the way we're talking is how we felt watching Sleeping in Light with Babylon 5. Yeah. So I have I have to ask, is are they like comparable? Do you feel? I think so. I think so. And, and and I think when it comes to Sleeping in Light, which is the series finale of Babylon 5, it, 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 it hit all the emotional notes because it gave you elements of closure and continuance for all the characters. It gave them a really nice send-off. Uh, and, and it was profoundly about the relationships of the characters uh, by the time you get to the end and that final episode, that's what it's ultimately all about. You've had these galactic, you know, events, huge scale stuff, and it really comes back to these beautiful relationships between the characters. And that's what this episode, uh, uh, gave us. So yeah, I, I would say that they function so similarly. I, I hadn't thought of that before. Now I'm thinking back. I remember the, the, the message from JMS about, you know, they had on his, I think, the, uh, I don't know where, where he posted, it must've been AOL or something back then. Uh, you know, that, oh, you are going to need a box tissue. You're going to cry with this. And I did. We, we all watched it together. I remember when we were really emotional. And I don't often get that. Every once in a while I get that. 
this did the same thing. And it's because it was for all the really cool stuff that happened and the, you know, the amazing stakes, the special effects, everything else. It was about the people. And I, I literally felt like I was participating in this amazing human moment. And then, and then to end it, you know, round it up right the way they did with, with the poker game again is, is, was brilliant because I just, I just felt, I, I felt joy with, with, with that scene, which I've heard is they actually recorded an hour's worth of them actually playing poker because they were literally just playing. And I think that's brilliant. Yeah. I, I, I saw that ready room and they said that, uh, Terry Mattel's like, I just let the camera on and, uh, we cut together whatever, whatever we uh, thought would be best, but that's, this is what the fans wanted to see was the, them just being themselves. Yeah. You know, that's, no, I was just going to say the sleeping and light comparison is an interesting one. I don't think I would have thought of that. I, I don't know that I agree that they're similar. I mean, they are only insofar as they're, uh, you know, you know, like you were saying, John, like really about the relationships between the characters. But I think, I don't know, to me, I feel like they're, they're distinct in a number of ways. The other thing, though, about the, uh, the poker scene, it, like, it was funny, like, I always, whenever there's a scene that, like, plays out under the end credits, I always wonder, like in my filmmaker brain, I'm like, okay, like how much, how did they, how much of this did they actually shoot? Uh, Because like, you never know exactly how long the credits are going to be. So I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. So that makes sense. Like they just let the camera run for an hour and they actually let them play poker. Like that makes sense. I was like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. I love when, I love when war fell asleep on the bridge. after. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, Worf had so many. Let's. I guess we can start going into our highlights. Worf had so many great highlights. The the uh, the I like swords or swords are fun. <laughs> yeah, you know, for me, I think overall, like two characters that were standouts, not just in the finale, but also the whole season. And I think um, uh, uh, the roles that they they played in the finale were just you know a great capstone to a great season. But I really have a new appreciation for two for two characters I've always really liked, but Riker and Jordy, uh, you know, Frakes and LeVar Burton, like really, like, I just feel like they, they really brought their A games and they're so, you know, like, especially Riker, like, you know, I always liked Riker and everything, but this season, like I'm really, and John, I think it does have to do with what you said and all the characters benefited from this in their own way, but there's, um, a depth and a complexity and a realism and nuance to the their their arcs and their their depictions and their behavior and even their dialogue their their dialogue was much more sort of naturalistic than i think we were used to in the idiom of star trek and of that particular era of star trek is a very specific thing it's like you know it's got its it's very uh, particular style um, in terms of, you know, how the characters speak, how they interact, the range of emotions that they're allowed to show. I mean, even the sentiments are allowed to express, frankly. And, you know, this show, it takes those characters and sort of, they're painting with more colors. They're more vivid d- depictions of these old these old characters. And like you said, like with the benefit of an extra 20 years of growth and wisdom and, um, you know, life experience. I mean, you know, it, it really all comes together to really create this, um, this portrait of this crew of this ensemble 
like and that's i think for me the um one of the main uh points of departure for the comparison between this episode and sleeping in light is that like sleeping in light and babylon 5 is like it's like yes it's all about the characters but, but it's all about how the characters relate to sheridan because it's it's really about sheridan and the gravity of sheridan as like a god and the main character is 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 sort of pulling everyone around him and i think while this show is called picard i think that this finale and this season really went out of its way to give each of the characters their their moment their their fully like self-actualized you know moments and um i think that's something that these characters have never really been afforded before in this way certainly well to quote jack who's who's not not here um is that they gave beverly and deanna something to do <laughs> like they, yeah. they finally had something to do just you said them I mean, they gave characters what to do they they lived up to what star trek has always aspired to be which is uh which had a place for everyone um and it's been a journey it's it's been a literal journey through the shows through the very first attempt out of the gate with a 1966 television show which is groundbreaking for its time um but then you look at how it matures into even those characters getting more of themselves, everybody from Uhura to to Sulu having you know real more moments in the movies uh, as 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 they were given just a little bit more to you know more dimension and more capacity in in, in, in on on screen, and that's definitely happening here. But it's you know what what are the ideals? It's everybody has a place. Everybody's everybody's important. It's not just I mean that that's sort of the joke of Lower Decks is that you know the bridge there's the bridge crew and they never even die. They just come back randomly, which this show literally does. Um, you know, but Lower Decks plays on that theme because it's saying what we're really trying to get to though is this idea that everybody is extraordinary in their own way in their own way. And, and, and that's the key point. And, and that's what I was living for when I saw two moments, which just, I, I loved, absolutely loved. The first was when they're assaulting the Borg cube. They have to disable some of the weapons so that the Enterprise can stay there and then go in. And they're basically like, all right, Beverly, you're, you're a tactical, like we have to go manual because they always have to go manual for whatever reason. That's always the, the, the thing for drama in Star Trek. So there she is. And they're like, do you think you can do this? And she just tears the cube apart. You know, is, is is like an ace at tactical, and they all look at her. And she's like, "Yeah, it's 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 been an interesting twenty years." And it's like, "Yeah, yeah." She's always had that bubbling beneath the surface in next gen, but as he said, Josh, there there were sort of roles people had to play. There were styles in the writing, styles in the you know, styles in the in the production of it. That sort of you know were were were, were repeated in, you know cycles throughout the show. And this was finally like, nope, let loose. And then Troy, with the moment, I know where they are. Because there's that profound emotional connection of 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 you know of what's about to happen to Riker, and she just goes right over to uh, navigation to the helm, takes a ship, and we get to see the Enterprise D. We get to see the Enter- Enterprise D of all ships moving around. I called it the Millennium Falcon moment because it, right right it's like right out of Star Wars, going to the heart of the Death Star, going to the heart of the Borg cube. Um, and it was cool to be able to see. They clearly saved their CG budget for this because even the Titan was sort of lumbering around in the nebula by comparison. And for a lot of reasons, that was meant to be a submarine Wrath of Khan callback. This was, 
oh, wait, this ship actually has some real capability to it and maneuverability, apparently, too. Um, and to see, well, it also has an android at the helm who really knows what he's doing. <laughs> and and learned to trust his gut. How cool was that? You know? That was and, awesome. That was and awesome. The, and the fact that Troy, she could sense it. Yeah. You know, like, I thought that actually, I mean, not to uh, to derail the conversation, but like, that I actually thought was a profound moment in so many ways uh, uh, because like, you know, we don't actually know what the nature of consciousness is. And there's a lot of discourse about it right now with these like, you know, large language models and these generative AI apps that are out there now. Uh, But like, you know, as best we understand, consciousness is, is just an emergent property out of a sufficiently complex thinking machine right so it's sort of like this idea that like data finally got there you know if that makes any sense sends organic biology but that whatever the whatever the nature of consciousness is which we don't have answers to even even now whatever it is troy taps into it uh, yeah by by virtue of who she is and it's full-on it's not that data wasn't something before it's that Right, he's passed a certain threshold of 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 wholeness of of, of well, and even more important connection because that's the whole thing. Uh, right. With, uh, with 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 his arc is that he's he's synthesizing all these different aspects, so it's no longer lore is just evil and just the other one, or just Soong and all this other. It's this nature of weight. It, it, it's a metaphor for accepting all aspects of oneself to then manifest, you know, what you really are. And that was that was so cool, and then yeah, to, to have to have trying try that moment. Like, am I sensing enjoyment or what? We know exactly what that was. And there, you just sort of like shocked, and there he is, like totally, totally into it. Uh, and quickly to what you said about Lavar Burton and, and and Jonathan Frakes in their moment, that was the moment that really. I mean, Lavar Burton had so many standout moments. In he his really did, yeah. Show it was it was his it, it was his timing and facial expressions. When you can, when 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 Data's telling him, trust, you know, my gut, trust me, I need you to trust me, and he just nailed that moment in a way that just felt like, oh wow, yeah, yup, this 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 is this this is a thing, and he, but he also had a sense of gravity to where, oh, he's also in charge, he, like he's completely comfortable now in that chair, which is something that Jordy LaForge of Next Gen wasn't always. He a lot no. of self, a lot of other things. This was a calm collected uh, uh experienced person who was right there for you jordy was um jordy was a standout character i feel like uh, i mean they were all i mean i, I praised wharf and everything but i would I, jordy you know didn't i feel like i re, would like the character as much as he is now as you, your point josh but he was as amazing with our burton as jordy i like i would like i hope we get more time with jordy somehow because LeVar Burton, what he's bringing to this older version of the character is amazing. All right. So um, there's a lot we can still talk about with this episode. I asked Jack, since he couldn't be with us uh, to record this episode, if he had some thoughts or some ideas that he'd like to hear us speak on. As you know, Jack did love this season, but he has his, he has some of his issues with this season. So I thought we, in fairness, um, as much as we are gushing over this episode, let's just bring up some of the things that we, that, you know, maybe written differently might have performed differently uh jack's comment is the borg undid amanda Plummer's performance and the changeling threat 
i.e. Beverly Crusher figured out how to deflect them. What are what are our thoughts about the Borg um, undermining sort of the changeling threat? Well, um, uh, that's one of the one of the things I wrote down. Uh, you know, after um, afterthoughts. So the first one was it. I thought Admiral Crusher purging the uh, the uh, I guess we'll call it the Borg infection from all the young Starfleet members. I thought that was done too quickly, and his voiceover too. You know, showing what she was doing. I just thought it was it was very expository, and I just thought it didn't it didn't fit the episode. I thought, and I just they kind of glossed over. I know they had to do that for obvious reasons to put Starfleet back on on proper footing, but I just thought that that scene could have been written better. So that's that was my only problem with this, this episode. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it in the last episode, Josh. We obviously didn't get your thoughts, so I'm curious. But you know, the Borg being the threat, I'm still with John. Okay, fine, it's, it's the Borg. Um, I don't know if I kind of reconciled the Borg aligning themselves with the changelings. And I did kind of feel like the changelings, by the time we are, by the time we were in that, these last three episodes where it's the Borg and everything and, and the man of Plumber's, Plumber's character is already gone, I kind of forgot about them. But, um, but Josh, since you, you weren't around for the last episode, what are your, what are your thoughts about the Borg changeling stuff? Yeah, I mean, um, I... Yeah, I'm with I'm with John. Like, okay, fine. Like, um, my uh, the whole switcheroo thing is like a classic Doctor Who move. It's like it's like you know, well, well, in the classic series, it would be like you know, you introduce an enemy, and then it's like, oh no, it's the master all along, actually, and then it's a master story. <laughs> but or uh, like you know, more specifically, it's like. It's like, oh no, the Cybermen. Oh no, but not. It's not just the Cybermen. Like the. Uh, the Cybermen are working for the Daleks or something like that. It's it's like, uh, like I'm fine with it. I think I said way back in the beginning, like I wasn't really thrilled about the idea of a revenge plot. They would have to do some some serious, you know, twists there or some like serious explanation there for me to uh, to go along with it. And I think it it just they did it well enough where they were able to deliver the goods which is ultimately like these these threats are excuses to get all of these you know wonderful character moments that we've all we've all been gushing about so so i'm with john it's sort of it's sort of okay fine i i do think it was a little abrupt how quickly the changelings were dropped and it's like oh no it's not the changelings okay now we're you know now it's the borg um one thing though that does kind of make sense bringing the borg i feel like it's kind of inevitable to bring the borg in for the conclusion of jean-luc picard's story because Mm -hmm. you know it's so fundamental to that character Mm -hmm. yes Mm -hmm. um so so i don't have a problem with it the other thing too is that you know one of the moments that i i was kind of unprepared for i found it uh you know rather moving was you know they did show us something that we've never seen and that is the moment where picard willingly rejoins the collective mm-hmm. Good point you know like we've never like he he he's he, um he's gotten revenge we saw that in first contact he he has like this weird you know the way that they handle the borg uh his borg experience in season one is you know sort of as a trauma that he's learn to come to terms with or learn to, uh, to live with or coexist with uh, rather. But, you know, seeing him get to a place where, you know, in order to save his 
done, he 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 just he willingly rejoins the collective to try to save his son. I thought you know was uh, something very moving and worthy of returning the Borg, of bringing the Borg the Borg in for for the conclusion of that character's story. No, I'm with that you. Makes, I I, makes I, a lot I of sense. oh, I I just was gonna say I agree with you that the Borg being the final villain in this, this chapter of Picard's life is excellent. I think it's just undercut by the fact that we've dealt with the Borg in the first two seasons is the mm-hmm. reason why it doesn't yeah. land. Like it, like, like, you know, if we had a t-shirt for this podcast, it would be, Oh, fine. It's the Borg, John. That'd be like the t-shirt we would, would sell. Um, because that's sort of where we, that's sort of where we're at because like we deal, dealt with the Borg in the first two seasons and now like, okay, it is the Borg and it makes the most sense now, but you've already shown us the Borg. But I, I, I get all the points that, that you've made, Josh, and I agree with them. Well, the other thing also too is that like this season, if we're being, if we're being honest, is really not connected at all to the first two seasons of Picard. It really is its own thing. And I think to, like, I agree with you. Like if we hadn't already dealt with the Borg in different capacities in the first two seasons, then, you know, maybe this would have landed a little bit differently, but, you know, judging it in a vacuum, setting seasons one and two aside and judging season three as its own self-contained unit, I think it's the right choice for this story. No, I I agree with you. I think, John, you were going to say something earlier and I cut you off, so I apologize. Well, it, it was, it was, it was, just basically a virtual nod in agreement. Um, but with, with the only added thing that um, uh, if, if you're going to end a show, Star Trek Picard, uh, you're certainly going to feature some sort of resolution with the Borg, which arguably could have been season two uh, in terms of just, okay, that's enough of the Borg and that, and that does sort of wrap it up. But uh, the real emotional uh, component, season two had a different emotional thing anyway that had to do with this, deeper delve with his mother and things that were added on, you know, as that season went on, this was, this, this was a satisfying completion of Locutus of Borg, you know, that, that really, you know, everything from explaining why does he hear them in his first contact and all this other stuff. And it was really done in in a much more satisfying way. I, I, even now I'm growing to appreciate aspects of the, what I'll call the mythos of season two and a little bit of season one. But it just the writing, the the the, the production, it, it didn't hold up to what this season aimed to do, and and that's uh, so that's why I'm like, okay, you know what? Yeah, this this is sort of its own entity, even though it is officially season three. So bringing back the Borg, okay, and I and I try to be a little more forgiving in storytelling on that. As I was I was uh, uh, talking to somebody else, you know, not too long ago about you know, various different sci-fi shows, but Star Trek too, is that it's really hard to wrangle all these different writers and all these different point of views and then make it all work when you're taking the helm. And Terry Metalis deserves a lot of credit for doing that in this season where he, they make reference to the the, the minor collective of Jurati, you know, at, at, at that transwarp conduit. I, I thought it would be a cool story moment to see them in. I see why it also would have been a little bit too expensive and also would have been a different, a different feel to it. So I'm totally fine with, uh, how they how they resolved it it just sort of was what about what about the the changelings and the dominion on that point i would say when they revealed what these changelings were the result of starfleet experiments they added in some line i mean that there, there were some lines about how she basically got more of them to join by whatever means that was of sort of assimilating them if you will into her 
type of, of, of changeling and that they would have short and brutal lives. So it was sort of it's sort of built in that even if there's a, a, a lingering changeling threat, that these changelings are not long in lifespan because of the nature of what they are um, and how they came to be. So the threat was always going to at some point uh, uh, diminish. Um, so so they were they weren't going to be a big bad five seasons from now. Now the the original Great Link is presumed to still be there but not these specific kinds of changelings. So, you know, that's when they did the the one year later, which is very rare in Star Trek. They do all the time travel, but in terms of storytelling, they don't usually just do years a year later. And that is what we can assume is the year later that they you know had to go through a major process to, to revise this altered DNA, to uh, add in detectors for the changelings. Now they've been able to study and identify what it is they're looking for. That to me was totally believable because... They just were, were blind to them before, and now they have a new kind of radar, you know, that shows that that shows them up, you know, re- real clearly. So that I could believe, especially in a year. And then there I was sitting with someone and they said, how the hell did they reconstruct Space Dock that quickly? And I said, well, you know what? No one else showed up to help them at that point. Maybe the rest of the Federation was just like, yeah, we're going to we're going to use a lot of our resources. We got to rebuild. We got to rebuild space dock because otherwise this can be a big mess so narratively i can totally accept that too if, if this was an ongoing seven season show it would I'd, I'd probably be a little more critical because this is a wrap-up they have to wrap it up because they're not getting the fourth season this is the end of the story so what are the different points that they're going to have to hit on with this so i'm definitely more forgiving than i might be if this was just sort of a general show in the middle of another show's run um and while i probably hold strange new worlds to a higher standard in terms of consistency because they're still going you know sorry a lot of thoughts just uh coalesced in my mind but um (laughs) you know at the end of of best of both worlds part two shelby says that they'll have the fleet reconstructed within a year so yeah so in what uh, they lost 39 starships at wolf 359 so if she's like so confident yeah in a year we can build 39 starships like no problem yeah, you're, to- you're you're totally right. So the same the same time frame, and like like it's always been sort of like a kind of a question mark in terms of with replicator technology and industrial replicators, and you know like how much how quickly does construction actually take on something like that? Like to me, it was always like you know when they were talking about constructing the Enterprise D at Utopia Planitia. Like for me, it was always it's not the actual construction that was what took so long. It was the design and the testing. I always felt like, like, you know, making sure the design was right. And then like the actual assembly was just like, yeah, I mean, it's not a big deal. Like when you have tractor beams and you have replicator uh, technology. Giant 3D printers. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, there's 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 a lot to that. What we always wondered, like, why why does Starfleet always seem spread so thin, and why you know when they get these ships? So, well, because space is really, really, really big, um, and there are only so many humans. And even if we're sending them out somewhat automated, which again is something Lower Decks did in a hilarious way of like, what happens when you have a totally autonomous automated ship, and where where does that go? Um, but there's there's this idea of like, well, at, at the end of the day, we can create a lot of stuff. But there are limitations conceptually on how viable it's going to be a couple years down the road, because now we see like Enterprise D is a relic, but it's only 35 years old. 
you know, from when, when what, from the line, let's see what this ship, you know, let's see what this galaxy class ship can do with, you know, counting the card there on the bridge for the first time to now you're like, it's not that old, is it? And then, then think of our own Navy and how an aircraft carrier from 35 years ago uh, or, or 40 years ago uh, can, can be quite, it goes through how many refits and that's our technology. So it makes a lot of sense to me that, yeah, a ship can go uh, to being obsolete. There's a lot of testing that goes into a new ship. So it's a constant process that isn't just about producing the same thing over and over. Unless, of course, you know, you're Klingon and Romulan, in which case your ships all look the same, which is... Yeah, as far as the uh, rebuilding the space dock, uh, Josh, that's the um, Starfleet Corps of Engineers. They're great. We know that. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. Right. That's but, true. but um, you know, I had no problem with the Borg being the big bad. And I had no problem, of course, with the Borg... Uh, aligning with the great link, the Dominion, because these are the two hive mind entities or uh, alien cultures in this universe. And we know Star Trek is always more than just, you know, a space adventure story. Um, it's also allegory. And I think, to me, this is how I, I saw this episode in this season, in retrospect, this is an allegory, this season of, of Picard, uh, for preventing on our planet, the hive mind. And I think that's why they picked 25 and under to be the, the ones who are susceptible to the, to the uh, infection because oh, you know, wow. people that age are always on their friggin' phones and always on social media saying stupid things and doing stupid things and being part of a, a hive mind that doesn't think for themselves. And I think this is what maybe Terry Metallus might have been, might have been trying to tell us. Hey, you got to get out there and think for yourself. Don't be part of the hive mind. That's but the Joe, you're onto something even bigger with that. I think. I, I think you you really hit that because there there's a lot of the concept of oh, it's just a lot of you know it's old railing against the young. There's always sort of and yes, that, that always happens from generation to generation. Mm -hmm. sure. But if you think about a conversation just 30 minutes ago about the actors and what they brought and why we're feeling so many things and what we're witnessing their performances on screen comes from that extra 20 years of experience. The show is really highlighting the 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 beauty and importance of life and experience and time. Uh, uh, and then, as you said, a warning of, well, what does happen if you're, if, if, if you're relying on a hive mind, if you're relying on complete fleet automation? Um, and that, that correlates really with, you know, does correlate a, a, a lot with what we're seeing in technology and, and people under a certain age now where it's like, oh, you didn't, you, you know, we, I think all of us here remember a time without the internet at all. You know, and mm -hmm. many of us grew up with, with that. So we can we can imagine at least imagine a world like that. People today can't. And you ask yourself, so so what does that what does that lead you into? And whether or not the show meant to or not, season one was about you know sort of a, was was about an AI. Season two is still the Borg. Uh, season three is changelings on the Borg. But use it a hive mind with the advent of AI really taking off in the last six months um, in our in our real world. We're going to be wrestling with these. And I, and I feel like the writers of Star Trek have been right on the cusp of what we're actually about to experience from the beginning of the show. Um, and they're really nailing it now. And, and, and that's the very thing. Like, what happens if you have all this cool automation at your disposal? Uh, what, what's the rest of your life mean? And where, where does that life experience come from? And it's saying, yeah, the young are awesome, but, but they have to have something to do. And I think that jumps us into what we've been, what we haven't mentioned yet, which is, does this show get a spinoff? And holy shit, Q makes an appearance at the end after yeah. they're all on board the new Enterprise with the most important thing, which is it's Captain Seven. 
like Captain yes. Seven of Nine is the captain of the Enterprise. Like that that is one of the coolest things that I did not see coming. I mean, I could see it coming sort of in the show, but like I but I didn't even think that was gonna happen. Like Seven of Nine is the captain of the Enterprise now. And there's so many cool because you have her and Rafi, her ex-girlfriend. This I'm losing I'm losing my mind right now. They're just getting this out now. <laughs> and, and they're and they're the old they're the old guard who are really there to come like set the tone for the shift within it with a young crew of Jack Crusher, Sidney LaForge, and the rest of the cast will be fle- fleshed out, which I really desperately hope they do create a series for, which is that perfect mixture of old experienced wisdom, new young energy, you know, <laughs> is it able to shoot and run at the same time? Um, yeah. <laughs> and, I realize this is what I want, and it's specifically because of that synthesis where you're where, where you're celebrating young and old at the same time, without it being all about just one or the other. And yeah, and 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 also how they're like, yeah, we don't want to make that same mistake with the younger cadet crew or the younger group again. We don't want them to be completely automated, and this could be a problem. So I, I love that all of that seems to be what they were getting at through this, and then of course by the end, giving us something that. We didn't know we wanted or needed, and yet we yeah. And you know did. what? You know what, uh, John? Uh, that scene uh, where Picard, Geordi, and uh, Riker are closing down, or I should say, you know, uh, uh, putting the um, Enterprise D in mothballs. Right, just before that, Picard says, "You see, the past does matter," and mm, yes, and it, and it does. And and you know, this is I think this is once again Star Trek telling us that it's not either or. As we move into the future, we have to take with us what we have had and use that to inform our future, to become part of our future. Don't leave it behind. Good, bad, or indifferent, it's part of us. And I think, again, this is what I, I get out of Star Trek and, and this this series in particular. Uh, Joe, I love the way you put that. I just love the way you put that. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it, took, them, it took Star Trek, the current era of Star Trek, a few tries to get to where they wanted to be, which is the storytelling of Strange New Worlds and this season of Picard. Mm-hmm. This is like these two se- seasons of TV or series of TV have finally, I think, gotten back to a modernized version of what we had back in the 90s. And I'm hoping that legacy gets a green light because I want to see these characters. I want to see the new enterprise and it gives the opportunity to see some of our old friends pop up. I mean, that might be the last hurrah for the seven of them together in one room, but it doesn't preclude anybody from, you know, the next generation from appearing in a future. And and Patrick Stewart has set out right that he'd love to drop in though. I think the context he used for almost moments of comedy so he's, he's not even looking to be <laughs> dropping a wisdom bomb every once in a while and be like, yep, here you are, young one. It's like, no, he, he wants to have fun with it and be like, I, I don't know. I don't know if we, you can even imagine the comic relief, but it's, it's sort of actually as the father-son relationship could be um, as, as well as being really heartfelt. Uh, so that's, that's just so cool. But it goes back to everybody was loving doing this. And they're, they're sort of like, yeah, we, we, we'd like to be able to pop back in here and there and do things. And I think setting that up uh, in the way that they did was brilliant and it gives us gives us so much to potentially look forward to paramount if you're listening just do it just green light it and don't <laughs> even wait yes, please please yeah <laughs> because you're gonna get me i promise this you're gonna get me to can be subscribed to paramount plus with the no commercials plan in perpetuity if you keep on putting out good trek content you know all the others come and go for me but this one ironically is that paramount plus has just been the most lasting 
streaming service for me because they've actually been producing a lot of Trek content and been increasing the quality as they go on. Oh, so you had to splurge for the no, uh, the no ads uh, 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 tier as well, huh? Because uh, I like, <laughs> I well, see for me it was like uh, purely practical because I would not every week, but because uh, on the West Coast uh, the new episodes would uh, drop at at uh, uh, midnight, like which on a good day, if I'm if I'm sufficiently prepped, I can stay up that late. But those extra fifteen to twenty minutes. Uh, <laughs> of ads was valuable sleep real estate I was losing. So I was like, if I have any hope of not being a total zombie tomorrow, like I want, I want that extra 20 minutes back. So you take so. the cat naps during the commercials. Okay. I, I have the cheap version of uh, Paramount Plus. I have the commercial versions too, but uh, it's, it's okay. Remember, I'm a child of commercials. I was brought up during that. So I just get up and go to the bathroom and get a sandwich. It doesn't make a difference. Yeah. <laughs> To me. It was actually kind of cool watching it. So uh, I would rotate watching it at different uh, people I knew house over, over, over the season. So we would uh, be in different. Now, at the beginning, different people had different tiered subscription levels. And in a group setting, it's actually interesting because you get to you get to have snippets of conversation without it interrupting the actual show. And then yeah. as the show goes on, you get to have shared frustration that a commercial has just interrupted your dramatic moment. You want to know what the hell's going to happen next. So it's kind of a funny, weird thing to watch that with commercials with a group of people. But individually, I'm just like, yeah, no, I I, I, I need this. And Paramount does pull, they pull a little bit of BS with this too, because uh, some people might know this. If you want 4K, you do have to pay for the premium non Yeah. Uh, you know, ad ad service. So if you have 4K and they did film the season in 4K, uh, you, you know you, you do uh, need that. Netflix does the same thing, so I can't I can't necessarily hold it against them. And I will say again, it was worth it visually. I was gonna say watching the commercials though is what cued me into when um, Strange Inner Worlds was starting. So exactly. it, was that, it was that commercial. Well, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, yes. no, but they they make it so even on uh, the the ad free uh, version, they they have non skippable ads at the very beginning for uh for their own promos so so i yeah so so i saw that uh strange new world is dropping on june 15th uh whether i wanted to see it or not (laughs) (laughs) well john you kind of glossed over something i want to kind of end with before uh is q we got q back which i find very intriguing for a star trek legacy and joe i know you did not see season two of picard and but don't really need to but what are our thoughts about i guess it goes back to josh you always like to quote it the trial never ends do we have what yeah i guess so yeah right yeah yeah well i mean what i mean he's an omnipotent being so so of course he can come back from death it doesn't matter he i mean i mean what good is is being an omnipotent God, if you can't come back from the dead, uh, uh, <laughs> you know. I mean, well, well, but, uh, but in complete seriousness, like uh, for that, uh, for that reason, you know, mechanically, um, it doesn't really trouble me in in terms of like, well, how is this possible? He died at the end of last season. So, like, I mean, that doesn't bother me. And also, the saying goodbye to Picard thing, I think, still. Holds. I think that still works. He's now he's now moved on. Yeah, I I found that to be very um, eyebrow raising in a good way. Yeah, 
yeah, yeah. And, and, you, and even says, oh, you stop thinking so linearly. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, exactly. But yeah, he's basically like, he did die. He is gone. He's also not gone because we experience time in a linear fashion and are stuck in that. And he's, and he's not. And I, and, and I think that that's why you, you wouldn't necessarily see an on, you're not going to see an on-screen moment, even if, assuming there's a new series, assuming that Q is in it, assuming that uh, Patrick Stewart makes an appearance as Picard in it, it is not going to be the three of them or the two, you know, or, or, or all of them together. You know, it's, it's going to be something else. And this is, this is part of that, the, the trial never ends. And it's, it's, it, it expands the term trial to me to mean like, well, your life is a trial. You know, it's a series mm-hmm. of trials, mm-hmm. not necessarily with a judge and a jury, but different challenges. And now Jack is off to the next one. Those challenges in, in the Star Trek context are meant to be mostly from an adventure standpoint. Like they're, 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 they're scary. They can be terminal at times, but they are the continuing experience of being, of, of, of being alive uh, for whatever you are. And that's and that's really cool. Also, Q looked kind of badass in his like cape. Yes, thing. he did. He, he did really look, did, didn't he? He did. He looked like very like cool, menacing, omnipotent. Yeah. I just I was just thinking like we were having this discussion. Jack Crusher inherited all of his father's like baggage. He, he's part Borg and he's got Q. <laughs> he's got like, Q. Yeah. yeah. At least he has hair. At least he has hair. He has hair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But as he asked, yeah. But as he asked, how long? How long does that last? Yes. Did, you all see, did you all see the meme where then they have uh, uh, James McAvoy's face pops in as, as Charles Xavier? It's like, until oh, this. No, I didn't see that. <laughs> well, actually, you know what? There's one more thing I want to talk about before we wrap things up is, do we feel like Wesley not being there makes sense at this point? We've been talking about Wesley for we all the episodes we've done of this, showing up, he was going to show up, he did not show up. Are we okay with that? I didn't miss him. <laughs> it's fine with me. No, I tell you, except for the... Uh, the uh, uh, Dr. Crusher curing everybody in a matter of minutes at the end of the episode. <laughs> I think, I, this is a flawless episode and, uh, and a flawless season. Uh, if this is the eighth season of uh, Next Generation, then this was the best season. Yeah, I felt okay with the fact that he wasn't there. I don't know, John or Josh, did you stick on that or were hoping he'd make some cameo and but all right with the fact that, that he didn't? For the sake of Will Wheaton, I would have liked to see it because to me this was a family reunion. Uh, it's a family reunion of the actors as much as it was the characters or vice versa. So in that sense, yes, I would have liked to see it. From the purely thematic and story standpoint, it's a little bit tricky because I, looking at the episode as it is now, I don't see, you know, I, I see one spot where it would have been an interesting deus ex machina, which could have been, you know, stretch, you know that he appears as the traveler stretches out time while they're trying to rescue the rest of them from the board cube. You know, so that one minute they have to get out it sort of becomes more I, I mean that was one idea i had that okay you could sort of write him in for that but the 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 thing that will wheaton said a while back is that is that the price of being a the traveler is that you can't have these direct attachments you can't pop in you can still think about them so care about them and love them but it directly interfering with their lives so risks reality because they're not actually at the level of q they can't undo their mistakes as easily as they can create them q can actually probably destroy the galaxy and then reform it and be like, oops, everything's fine now. You know, the travelers aren't that level of power. They're playing it at a different level and a different game. So from that standpoint, I see how it is really tricky to write it in without it being, Wesley comes in to save the day again and just as day and back back and now great. You know, I I think the only way they could have done it would have been along the way from a, a, you know, which we never got to see in, in, in uh, I think it was, was it, was it uh, Insurrection or Nemesis, where there was a deleted scene of him Nemesis. at the wedding. 
you know, well, something yeah. like that, which again would not be the, you know, that, that would be not going by the rules that later apparently applied to travelers. And again, no one says those are absolutely the rules, but it would have been, yes, he can pop in uh, uh, occasionally, but he can't interfere. Um, and that would be like a lot of weird appearance, like, hey guys, yeah. I'm here. Good to see all of you. Oh yeah, sorry, I didn't do anything about what happened last year. Like it just would have been awkward. So, so it, it would have been a tricky thing to write in. I think they could have done it, um, and we were fine without it as well. I just would have liked to see, you know, Will Wheaton get his due. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I didn't miss it. I, I liked um, his little cameo last season, and that sort of satisfied me. Um, I mean, again, like. Uh, like you said, John, I would have liked it for Will Wheaton's sake. I know something that uh, Terry Metalis said that I know I've mentioned before on the podcast was that like they they didn't have unlimited money and they had to like they worked in as many cameos as they could get. So 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 it seems like you know there were like a hierarchy of characters he wanted to see again, and so like you figure you know Michelle Forbes isn't. Uh, cheap. I mean, she's she's a series regular on on multiple other shows, and she she I'm sure, uh, you know, works several days. Like you had, um, I forget the actor's name, but he popped in for Moriarty. Uh, you had all sorts of uh, little cameos and stuff. I mean, it's not you're not working with unlimited money. Yeah, that's a good point. And they had to pay, and they had to pay for Michelle Rosenberry's voice, right, Josh, at the, uh, yeah, the last right, episode yeah. voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so so it's interesting, you know. Like I'm surprised, I'm surprised about two things. I mean, these are, I guess, my closing thoughts. I was sure that there was going to be a a, a Denise Crosby uh, uh, cameo, which there kind of was for yeah. a hot second, yes. for a for a for a very brief moment. Um, stock footage from uh, uh, the hologram uh, uh, message that uh, uh, she left in. Uh, uh, Data's mind uh, palace or whatever. And the other thing I'm surprised about is I thought for sure that uh, behind all of this massive conspiracy were going to be those um, little stop motion alien critters from the season one episode conspiracy that where they took over Starfleet because it seemed like that was very similar to what was going on here. And I was like, oh, it's going to be those little uh, those little bug guys. It's it's finally going to pay off 35 years later. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, well, I guess uh, that that is our closing thoughts. Is there anything that we? Um... I, I have one, Joe. Please, mm-hmm. uh, you know, again, th- this this really moved me. This series and this this episode. At the end, I was you know contemplating and thinking about it. And um, Picard said something to Jack when he was trying to get through to him. Uh, uh, he said, "Perfection isn't evolution. This is death." And it made me think of an original episode, an OG episode, this side of paradise. Uh, when Kirk says, maybe we weren't meant for paradise. Maybe we were meant to fight our way through, struggle, mm. claw our way up, scratch for every inch of the way. And I think that's the story of Star Trek. And, and I think Terry Metalis, God bless his soul, he really brought this home. And the other closing thought I have is, what the hell is a seminar on Mugatu meditation? Because I want to see what that is. <laughs> Good luck with that, Mr. Wolf. <laughs> John, you have any uh, closing thoughts or feelings? Well, I realize we did forget one thing, just like the show forgot one thing. What's that? We didn't think about what the hell happened to Laris. But no, no, I was going to bring that up. I was going to bring that up. Uh, <laughs> like, the, the, I, I, I felt I, I woman. Woman around like she was just like, what the hell? Like, we don't know. 
again, I think that was they they dealt with that as well as they could, uh, given that it was a major plot point from season two. But it would not have fit to have like a return to Chateau Picard because he already did that last season. And we can assume that Picard is grown up enough at this point that he's figured out after this crisis what he's going to do with his relationship. We don't, you know, he's probably not, he's not ending up with Beverly, but he, you know, but that, you know, all worked out well. And we don't have infinite screen time and everything else yeah. uh, to deal with this. And you can certainly put that in a novelization if you choose. But it just was sort of a funny thing to me. It's like, wait, what about all these other things that they sort of didn't wrap up? But I mean, other, other than that, I can't think of anything that, that, that we missed uh, to cover. Um, I, I, just, I just wanted to, like, if any of them are just listening, a big thank you. Oh, and a thank, of course, to Walter Koenig. I mean, yeah, 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 you'd be- oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. 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 President, President Anton Chekhov. Um, which was really, really cool. And there was a quick interview with, uh, with Walter Koenig that he recorded this a year ago. Didn't even remember what he recorded <laughs> in terms of you know, a very quick line. And he was like, something about the earth, you know, under, under threat. But, you know, that type of thing. And I thought that was a really cool uh, nod back to where they are like, yeah, let's bring in uh, uh, a different generation because the series begins. It's a great bookend. And that's one thing that I won't go to in my conclusion here, but this, this entire season understood the concept of bookending really, really well without mm-hmm. knocking us over the head with said books. So the bookending here is that episode one encountered Farpoint is this, uh, you know, they get a send off from a very old 114 years old, I believe, uh, at DeForest, you know, at Leonard McCoy as played by DeForest Kelly. Mm-hmm. And 137 years, Admiral, according to Star for Complete Record. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. And it's, it's, uh, it, it, it was a really cool way to jumpstart the next gen, if you will. And this was a cool way to finish that, you know, was that we, we, we got, we got a little bit of a send off from the original crew. And, and a very beloved member, and they got to put the name in Anton just as a, you know, as a tribute to the tragically lost Anton Yelchin, who played Chekhov in the movies and was lost to us way too young. And I think he may have been amongst the best, uh, 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 you know, uh, portrayals and most enjoyable parts of those movies. So mm-hmm. I was really happy to sort of see that, you know, or hear that uh, just little bit that was, again, one of those things added for us because this, this entire season was a was a real gift to the fans produced by a fan. Uh, and, and in that sense, I think it's really, it's, it's, it's exactly what it intended to be. And I think that's the highest praise for any form of art is that when you say it was intended what it was meant to be, and we all got to take even more from it as to whatever yeah. your experiences were. Well Very, well Very well said, John. Excellent. I don't think I can do any better than that. So, uh, so with that, we're going to wrap this episode up. I, uh, we're at Space Dock right now. Um, we're going to take a little shore leave, some R&R, mm-hmm. wait for the new USS Mint condition to be refitted and designated. But uh, mm-hmm. I'm assuming we're going to fly out again for Strange New Worlds. Is, uh, is this uh, J-Squad ready to go out for Strange New Worlds when it comes out? J-Squad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Make it so. Make it so. So, uh, so with that audience, uh, I would like to obviously thank my other hosts. So thank you, Josh. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm glad I got out of the of the transporter buffer. <laughs> yes, I'm so glad Jordy and Data had time after the whole thing to get you out. Thank you, John. Well, thank you all, and looking forward to our next adventures. 
And thank you, of course, Joe. You're welcome, James. The human adventure continues. Yes, the human adventure continues. And yes, we have to get back to that at some point too, right, Josh? Um, yes. Right, I was going to say, and what movie is that from, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> and for Josh's, that movie. It's the best part of that movie. <laughs> yeah. And for Josh's sake, the trial never ends, right? <laughs> the, trial, the trial never ends. Uh, you know, uh, you had me thinking of like, uh, you know, the Laris or the Beverly uh, question of it all. And I'm like, maybe we're being too limited in our thinking. I think I think in Star Trek Legacy, we're going to find out it's not an either or. Picard is going to live in like a polycule with Laris and Beverly and Riker and Troy. And they're all they're all going to be in one um, delightful polyamorous uh, situation. It's going to be a sitcom. That's the comedy. Yeah. <laughs> that's that, was, that was Roddenberry's vision for Earth in Star Trek. Yes, I know. Now that's that's, that's why. Right, yes. that, speaking of the motion picture and new humans, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, let's just do it, man. Well, with that, audience, uh, thank, you, <laughs> thank you for joining us on this wrap of a Picard season three. I think most of you listening enjoyed it as much as we did. But if you have differing thoughts or you have thoughts you just want to add on to what we've already said, please uh, put them in the Facebook group, Secret Origins and Mink Condition. Um, if you're on Instagram, you can find us there as well. And obviously, we always appreciate it if you have time to rate, uh, review and share the show with other people. We uh, thank you for listening and make it so. 